This podcast was recorded on February 2nd, 2022. The views and opinions expressed herein are as of the date recorded and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities. Such views and opinions may differ from those of DoubleLine Capital or its affiliates and are subject to change without notice. DoubleLine has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. All right, welcome to the Sherman Show. I'm Jeff Sherman here along with my co-host, Sam Lau. Hey, hey. And uh, we have our first podcast of 2022, and we brought none other than our other podcast host, Jeff Mayberry, into the fray today. So welcome to the Sherman Show once again, Mr. Mayberry. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, and uh, you are now an expert in this as I was listening to your Monday Morning Minutes that you do with Sam uh, as he's been two-timing me on the other podcast, I just heard that it was your 50th episode. So congratulations on that. And uh, you should be an expert now. So we're gonna jump right into it, okay? Sounds I good. Guess, I gotta say, it's a little awkward having two of my podcast partners here in the same virtual room, so. Yeah, um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that later, Sam, uh, now that I know about it, that you finally admitted to it, we got you on tape. So yeah. um, again, welcome everybody. Uh, we took the month of January off as there was some volatility in the markets. That's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Uh, but just getting our bearings about us again, as we ramp into 2022, Mr. Mayberry to talk about our, our, when we've seen some volatility in the market. So Sam, why don't you kick us off with a little bit of recap of what's happened and we can get Mr. Mayberry's 11 month forecast for the year. He told us it was going to be much easier uh, when we talked about this a month ago, that if we wait until February, it'd only be an 11 month forecast, it'd be much easier. I don't know if it got any easier or not. We'll see as we jump into it. So why don't you give us a high-level recap of what happened in January and where we sit today. See here. We'll clear one month of performance off of Mr. Mayberry's plate. Uh, for the month of January, you know, looking across the, the scoreboard here, the S&P 500 was down through January 31st, down about uh, just over 5% for the year. Uh, the top performer there being the energy sector, kind of continuing the theme of 2021 there, and it's off to a running start, up almost 19% through that date. On the other end, we see consumer discretionary down about 9.5% as the other bookend there. In terms of what we've had in, in, in yields here, the, um, the 10-year Treasury note is uh, at 178 as of January 31st, 2022. That's up 27 basis points. Uh, from the end of uh, 2021. Big move, though, in, in the shorter end of the curve based on some of the, the chatter around the Fed and the expectations there for future rate policy. The, the two-year Treasury up, was up uh, 45 basis points in the month of January up to, to close the month at 1.18. So all that led to a continuation of the theme that we saw for the Bloomberg U.S bond aggregate. I always struggle with that one. Um, just call it the Lehman Egg. Let's call it the Lehman Egg. Yeah. So yeah. the Lehman Egg continued to struggle into the first month of 2022, down over 2%. And just looking across you know, some of the fixed income indices that we have, um, all of the components underlying the egg in the red, led by IG corporate credit down almost 3.5%. Uh, Treasuries down 1.9%. Agency mortgage-backed securities, that index is down one and a half percent. But throughout, you know, this is um, a little bit of a departure. I mean, we saw in some of the off-index uh, indices seeing some red there as well with high-yield U.S. corporate credit down almost 3% for the month. Uh, even some of the, the non-agency mortgage-backed securities that we, we partake in, you know, they're flat to slightly down on the month. Um, some of the securitized products like uh, asset-backed securities, commercial mortgage-backed securities, uh, also down on the month, about a percent to, to two, uh, depending on which sector you're in. Uh, one area that has been sp spared some of this uh, deep red is the floating rate area. So um, floating rate loans are up about 50 basis points or so for the for the year to date. And then when we take a look at CLOs, also up uh, anywhere from, from 20, 20 basis points up to a point. Um, yeah, so but, Sam, I, I think, you know, as, as you look across this too, um, I think, you know, really it's been a function of duration, right? 
um, longer duration got hit the most. But you did see, as you said, some of that sensitivity in high yield, where high yield was roughly in line with uh, almost almost in line with investment grade credit, even though it has a shorter duration there as well. Um, and I think I, I saw that a headline at least said that it was the worst January on record for high yield bonds um, when you compare in the index data. But what, what was really interesting is even the shorter duration assets got hit. The things that you talked about, non-agencies, asset-backed, even some of the shorter duration CMBS, because we had an entire repricing of the curve. And I'm sure that's what you're going to talk about next. But those areas that were the darlings, like in the first quarter of 2021, right, when we had this rate rise, now that we have this repricing of, of Fed policy, which I'm sure Mr. Mayberry's chomping the bit to talk about today, um, that you're starting to see pain across the entire Treasury curve. Yeah, and I think that repricing is going to be the theme of what we're going to see in terms of uh, at least the first half of the year, let's say, until we get some more clarity on the path that the Fed policy is going to take. Because um, you know, as the Fed has most of the influence on the shorter end of the curve, the shorter, the the risky or the less risky part that uh, many of the devaluations are based off of. It's, it seems natural for some of the volatility that we've seen in some of the risk assets here based on that, that higher uh, risk-free rate. But uh, I was also gonna say that it's not just the US that uh, has seen some of this carnage. We're also seeing it over there in uh, EM countries as well as those are down anywhere from two to 3%, uh, depending on how you're looking at the, the broader index, if you're looking at just corporates or something that's a little bit more diversified. But one area that has uh, seen some positive trend continue uh, going into 2022, I should say that uh, the 5% down on the month uh, is a departure from the, the S&P 500, which I think was up close to 30% last year. But something that was also clo up close to 30% last year was uh, the broad commodity basket of the Bloomberg Commodity Index. And thus far, that's continued the trend up nearly nine percentage points uh, in the short month. So with that, uh, I guess we can pass it over to our guest here with Mr. Mayberry. And, you know, in thinking about some of these markets, I think, you know, as, at Double Line here, we like to think about the macro side and how that impacts financial markets. I guess, you know, we're going to touch on the Fed. We've done so a little bit already. But just overall, just as a broad umbrella to start us out with, what's your, your feeling in terms of the sentiment for U.S. economic growth in 2022? Yeah, I think that, you know, when you look at it, as you said, there was a repricing here in January. Uh, but it's not a repricing based on the expectation of like a recession coming. Uh, you, you haven't seen, you know, the 10 year, 10 year treasury still holding in uh, at, at, you know, kind of reasonable levels. So it's not a, uh, it's not a recession induced spread widening. It's more of a, you know, there's volatility. Maybe the Fed does, you know, there is some talk about the Fed, maybe, uh, you know, hiking too fast, inducing a recession. Uh, but, but I think that, you know, if you look at, at kind of GDP, GDP forecasts, it's not uh, it's not great. It's not uh, great numbers, uh, but they're still uh, forecasting pretty decent growth. I think Sam, you showed us uh, it was like a you know a three handle type uh, real GDP growth, and I think that that's you know that seems like a reasonable uh, reasonable expectation for GDP. Now, well, enough, like if you go back though, like you know post global financial crisis, the trend line growth was like what the like two four two five when you look at the annualized growth rate since the global financial crisis until we had this recession induced pandemic or the pandemic induced recession, I guess uh, <laughs> recession didn't cause the pandemic other way around, bro. But you know when you think about it too, that that's still above where we were potentially before, and this is on the back of what was really a record year in terms of real GDP. Yeah, but Sherman, I think you sent you had shared a chart of uh, nominal GDP growth and how that's above above trend now, but real GDP is still below that trend. So the real GDP still has got a little catching up to do, or uh, you know, inflation needs to come down, and that uh, if in order to to kind of get back to that to that trend line. Right, and I think you know if you got like a three and a half, I think it's what we estimated too. That got you right back to that kind of post GFC trend line, which you know pe people always look at new highs. It's like the bull market, bear market. They're like it's new highs, but you got to think about the trend growth too, and you got to get back to that as well. So when when you think about that too, that there's been a lot made of the fourth quarter uh, GDP numbers where this was a big inventory build, and so. I've seen uh, the race now on Wall Street. The first race was to see how many hikes you can get priced in or how many hikes you can forecast for this year. But now we're starting to see the race to revise first quarter GDP. And so with Omicron, 
We saw ADP data come out today as well with the jobs, lost 300,000 jobs. Um, there's some fear that potentially the jobs report on Friday is going to show is going to show job losses or at least you know not that 150,000 that's on expectations. You know what do you think this looks like? You know is it just a rough spot because of Omicron and what we've seen in the it, it's going to translate into the first quarter or do you really think that there's going to be some curtailment in the growth story because of the fear of the Fed and the other things we've been talking about? And I was thinking that, you know, Omicron is going to be, it seems like it, you know, the numbers are coming down and, uh, you know, we see a lot of uh, COVID charts every uh, once a week, at least, um, and the numbers are coming down. So people will start to, you know, spend some more on the services side. So maybe it won't be as, as goods heavy as it was in uh, 2021, but on more of a more, more of a kind of a normal mix or maybe even a little bit more services heavy um, going forward as people get, get out of the, get out of their house a little bit more. Um and, and but I think that you you'll see that uh, Omicron maybe a bump in the road here, but it should pick back up. Uh, you know, it, it maybe in in the in you know second quarter, will numbers will see be a little bit stronger than the the first quarter after this drag uh, of that we've seen. Yeah, but I think what what Sam had sent us too, there was you know the first first quarter estimates, and again this is pre this ADP report and and some of the revisions downward after getting that strong GDP print last week. I think that the estimates were like in the forehandle uh, for the first quarter uh, on an annualized basis for growth rate. But that seems a little aggressive to me at this point in time. But uh, like you said, it, it all kind of washes out, right? Inventories get pulled forward. There's some restocking in there. But as you think about this too, we talked about inflation. And so maybe you can walk us through how you're thinking about inflation at this point in time, because that seems to be really what's permeating not just investors' minds, but all of the rhetoric that we're hearing from the various Fed governors, including the chairman himself. Yeah, I think that, you know, inflation, you know, naturally will come down over to, over to, over like the next year or so. It's not going to be, a, you know, 7% CPI. Uh, hopefully it's not going to be a 7, 7% CPI o- over the next year. Should come down. But I think the big, you know, that's kind of, na- you know, natural forces. Um, if the Fed starts uh, raising rates, which seems likely, then, you know, that's going to hurt your, uh, your demand side of things, and maybe inflation comes down even faster, which is certainly the, the Fed's goal here. Uh, whether you know whether it gets into their closer to their 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 target of of two percent kind of core PCE or not, um, maybe it gets to, to a three a three handle type level. And I think if, if it gets to a three handle level uh, from what was it five and a half at December, uh, yeah. then maybe the Fed says you know mission accomplished over the short time period, and they kind of let things run at that type of level for. For a couple of years, but I think if it's a, a five handle, then that really uh, then they're, they're going to kind of be a little bit more aggressive and try to bring that number down. And really, the only way they can do that is you know from the demand side, right? By raising rates, making money more expensive, making it uh, you know it's harder to, to make to help on the supply side in the short term from a, from a Fed perspective. Right, and that's been thematically what we've been all talking about is that you know a lot of the inflationary pressures we've seen have been you know whether they're supply chain constrained you know, the chip shortages, the auto shortages, a lot of it related to the semiconductor part of the, the, of the consumption pattern. But, you know, we, we've always kind of said in jest that, well, the Fed itself, you know, they, they can't solve the, the supply chains with, with hikes. So in your mind, what is the Fed doing with this hiking regime or this, this kind of laid out path? Uh, the chairman himself said they're hiking in March. He, he, he didn't beat around the bush. He said they're hiking in March. You know, like I said, the punditry out there is trying to uh, one up each other. You know, I think that the highest forecast I've seen is someone said seven hikes. One of the banks did. I won't call them out here. Um, some strategist this morning was doing it in jest and said he's calling for 25 hikes this year. Not a 25 basis point hike, but 25 <laughs> separate hikes, you know, just just to try to get you to read the article. But what do you think the Fed is trying to do here? What is their motivation um, you know, they said they let inflation drift a bit higher with this new average inflation targeting. So walk me through kind of your mindset of how the Fed's thinking about it and what we can kind of think about as the expectations, or at least from your perspective, on uh, what, what the future path of Fed policy looks like. I mean, I think that, yeah, you're right. Uh, Powell did let it slip that the March rate hike is coming. You know, the uh, the narrative change from a, a 25 basis points, you know, quarterly to, you know, up to seven rate hikes this year, and maybe we'll move into the, 
50 basis point rate hikes become a little bit more um, of a not expectation, but could be a possibility versus right now, you know, everyone's kind of accustomed to a 25 basis point is the increment uh, that they move. And they've kind of talked back the, uh, the possibility of a 50 basis point rate hike here in March. Uh, but so, you know, I think that really what they're trying to do is they've got they've got the market accepting, you know, almost almost five rate hikes, five 25 basis point rate hikes this year. And really what they're trying to do is kind of uh, as uh, as Eric Dahl said uh, yesterday, they're, right now they're doing a double accommodation or they've been doing double accommodation and they're going to go to double tightening. So balance sheet and, and Fed rate hike tightening. And really what they're trying to do is just kind of uh, tighten financial conditions, make things a little bit more um expensive, try to bring down, bring down inflation. They're really that they're, they're focused on inflation. And that's really the, the difference, this kind of tightening cycle versus the last tightening cycle is that inflation is high. And so does that mean that they, they have to be more aggressive or that mean they're not going to really um, keep, keep an eye out on, on the stock market as closely? Uh, you know, there's the, the Fed put, the strike on the Fed put um, is probably lower today than it was back in, in the last tightening cycle just because that inflation number is out there. And then, you know, really uh, Powell did say that, you know, there is a, there's a lot of room for them to raise rates before it affects the labor market. Um, so they're going to kind of keep their, you know, uh, they, they have their dual mandate mandate and they're going to kind of keep an eye on both, but they, right now they feel like there's a lot of room to raise rates and, you know, the, the, the labor market's not going to be affected um, at least, uh, at least too much from, from that rate fed rate hikes. Yeah, but I think no, one I, of the things that we could add on to that as well is, you know, since you talked about labor, there is that, you know, the, the past year, 2021, and, you know, 2020, second half through 2021, there was enough fiscal stimulus out there to, to workers that, you know, perhaps they were able to, to step aside from the labor force for a while. So what we saw during that period of time you know, coincide is, is a period of high inflation that was persistent enough, high enough to really trickle through the wages, both from that component of high inflation, um, but also for the fact that, you know, there's a shortage of workers during that period of time. And I saw, and we pointed out, was it back in November when we heard Powell say that basically that he was spooked by the rising cost of employment, the, the ECI employment cost index, that was one of the the, the data points that he was looking at when he made the decision that he was going to pull forward and be a little bit more aggressive of monetary policy. So we've seen that inflation has been high enough, persistent enough, and it's you know made its way to wages, which are sticky. And ultimately, they're probably going to work their way up the employment chain because the wages thus far, as we've seen in the data, has been coming to some of the, the younger workers and some of the more entry-level workers. But that ultimately has to trickle its way up as people look down and say that and see that you know wages are rising at the bottom and at the lower end, you know, you know, perhaps we should be getting wages that are higher as well. And I think we've experienced that, you know, just looking through in our own empirical, you know, just from observations that we've been hearing from people, um, uh, just in terms of what's going on in the job hunt. Yeah, well, first of all, there's no trickle up economics, so um, I, I, don't, I don't agree. Well, some economics trickle down. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's other way around, bro. It's trickle yeah. down, you know, um, and it doesn't work either. But you point out the ECI, and we got an, we got another data print on the ECI, and it wasn't as strong as the previous print. So I wonder if if Powell has changed his tune a little bit there. But I'll, I'll remind you that his his change in stance, and you know, can we call it still a Powell pivot? I mean, he's pivoted so much. This is the latest pivot, I guess, or most recent one, is it coincided right with his renomination. And so, you know, don't forget that there are politics at play here. And I'll give a shout out to Jim Bianco, who was talking about this about a month ago when we had dinner with him. If you guys recall, before we did the roundtable prime, you know, he was talking about, look, that the Fed strike, uh, the, the, the strike on the Fed put that Mayberry's talking about here is significantly lower because, the Fed cares more about inflation, not because the Fed's mandate, but because politically, that's what the administration cares about, right? So they've already heard about the exacerbation of the wealth effect or the wealth inequality um, that from, from juicing asset returns and the like. But what you hear from the populace is that they're all struggling with inflation, especially the lower income strata, and as, as you referred to too, Sam. So don't, don't think that the Fed is going to be here to save all of our backs and markets right now because it's a different administration. It's a different objective. And look, the Dems need a W. 
you know, they're taking L's left and right in, in this. And again, even battling inflation, I don't, I don't think that they can get a win out of this at this point in time. So that, that makes me think that, you know, with Mayberry saying market has five hikes priced in, do front loading, right? The whole point of front loading is because we all know that monetary policy operates with the lag. And if the goal is to try to get inflation aligned, let's just say, I don't know, maybe by November, why would I choose November? Maybe that's the midterms, right? So if you want to get it in line and you know it's got a three, six, nine month lag, you got to start now. So potentially, I, I think Mayberry's right here. I can't see them doing a 50 basis point hike for the sake of it because you don't want to rattle markets. But the market has five hikes priced in. And if you look at the path of it, you could easily get to the concept where you do March which is on the table. We know that's the next meeting. It's live. Powell pretty much said they're hiking. Then you just go to May. In the May meeting, you do it. And in the June meeting, you do it. So you get three over the course of that 12-week period, right? You get those three in, and then you can take a little bit of pause. Let the, let the policy kind of seep in there. Um, I, I'm not convinced that they need to do balance sheet reduction, but they seem the adamant on that. Then you go back to September and December. So that gets us to five hikes. And so, you know, as one of our young analysts said, well, hey, you were talking about three hikes a month, a month or so ago. And I'm like, yeah, the world has changed, right? We have to update our views because market has priced this in. So let's say the Fed backs off. You know, let's say we get three hikes and whatever it looks like. That's actually stimulative versus where market pricing is today. So don't forget that. The market is already pricing in this path that the Fed is going to be aggressive to Mayberry's point. And I think that, you know, as you mentioned too, Sam, as you think about the labor market, I don't think hiking rates 100 basis points over the course of the year, 125 over the course of the year is going to stymie the labor market, right? It's going to probably help savers a little bit. It's going to cost a little bit more for some financing. But, you know, is it going to impact the housing market? I don't know, right? It depends on what the back end of the curve does as well. So with that, let me give an intro to Mr. Mayberry. What are you thinking about, about the shape of the curve? What do you think about, we're all talking about repricing the front end, but tens haven't moved a lot, right? Long bond hasn't moved a lot. We're probably 40 basis points off the local low from the Fed meeting in June. I think that was the, the local low was that December 17th area. Um, how are you thinking about the rest of the curve? And you know, does balance sheet play into anything when you think about the shape or levels of interest rate, the shape of the curve or levels of interest rate? I think that you know, certainly the I, the fact that the ten year is kind of holding in at this like one eighty level is is good because if the market was thinking the Fed's going to tighten too much too quickly cause a recession you know late twenty twenty two early twenty twenty three you'd see the ten year rallying much more than it has so I think you, you you've seen a lot of curve flattening go on so far uh, you know twos tens flatten twenty basis points or so 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 far this year. So if that kind of continues, then maybe you get a little bit more worried about a recession coming. But kind of at a 180 level, I don't think you're, you're too worried about it. Uh, from a from a balance sheet unwind perspective, I think people were talking about, oh, when they start unwinding the balance sheet, they can, that'll kind of prop up long-term rates. But they've said that they're not really going to, they're going to let things roll off, right? They're not going to be, um, they're just going to be reinvesting maturities or paydowns from the, from the agency mortgage space. And they're not going to be actively selling security. So it's not like they're going to be uh, selling tenure to keep the tenure yield at, at a level. Uh, it's going to be just much more on the shorter end. And maybe they're going to be actually buying on the shorter end and reinvesting those proceeds on the longer end. And so, you know, maybe that continues to hold that that tenure level uh, down a little bit. I think that when the, I was kind of thinking about it this morning as, uh, you know, you're talking about the Fed rate hikes, the balance sheet, maybe the balance sheet um, isn't a, isn't, uh, isn't a foregone conclusion. They certainly seems like the Fed wants to to uh, to to reduce the size of the balance sheet, and then but we really don't know how that reduction of the balance sheet works. You know how that affects markets because we didn't get into it too much uh, last time, right? We know how Fed Fed funds rate hikes work because we've gone through this many times. Balance sheet we don't really know, so I, I kind of feel like Powell is a is is trying to be a magician here where he's like. Look over here at the at the rate hikes. This is what matters. This is what we're focused on. Balance sheet is in the background. It's going to be predictable. Um, he didn't say autopilot, uh, but you know he was kind of implying more autopiloty. 
but like look at the look at the fed fed funds don't don't look over here at the balance sheet which is the important part of things right this is where the magic trick is going on yeah but with your magic trick uh i want to remind everyone that they did that before no it's on automatic pilot what was the phrase used? it's like watching paint dry that was the other thing and i'll be damned if they're not out there talking about it's like watching paint dry again and I don't know about you guys, I've never watched paint dry, but it's supposedly pretty boring. But last time they broke the system when they got to about 40 to $50 billion of rolling off a month. And so the question is, what makes them think that that's not going to happen again, especially while they're tightening financial conditions through the mechanism of rate hikes? And you know, the, the one argument I could make that potentially the 50 billion is doable this time is that the size of the balance sheet increased by roughly three and a half or four trillion dollars, right? So we're now at a level that maybe as a percentage of their overall balance sheet could be there. But if you if you interject this and we know like you roll this off on the balance sheet, plus we know monetary policy operates at a lag, doing both of these, aren't we setting up for some recessionary scenario or a significantly increasing the likelihood of recession for early 2023? I mean, wasn't it Yellen who said that it wasn't the uh, wasn't the amount of 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 asset purchases or I can't remember, I think it was asset purchases that it wasn't the amount that they were buying every month. It was the total size of the balance sheet that matters. Right. So they're still approaching it from from that as the total size of the balance sheet matters, not how fast we run it off. Right. Um, so, you know, they could be you know, it's certainly the, the you, monetary policy works with a lag. Fed thought works with a lag unless they're, they're stuck with a crisis. Yeah. like they were in 2020. Uh, and so they're probably thinking, oh, we can reduce the size of the balance sheet by 50 billion a month. It didn't work last time, but this time, as you said, the balance sheet's much larger. Um, and so they're, they're probably thinking in, in terms of a, in that type of idea of, of you know, it is the, the size of the balance sheet that matters. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm empathetic to the idea, but you know, one data point doesn't make a trend. I, I love to reiterate that point across here, but unfortunately our sample size is one balance sheet runoff uh, with a tightening policy. So uh, I think stay tuned for that. So I'm with you. I, I think that, you know, like we, we, even though we see this, the flattening, you know, our kind of signal to, to make the antennae go up uh, is like a 50 basis point kind of area. That's where we start paying attention to it. We get concerned at like a 25 or so on twos, tens, or, you know, even fives, thirties uh, when you think about it. And so right now we're just not really there. And so it's something that is getting a lot of attention there. But most of this is just really repricing the front of the curve. Really, isn't that what we've seen over the last six weeks? Yeah, I mean, with the 10-year or the two-year up uh, until 118, it is just on the front end of the curve. But you remember that that's really where a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of short-term borrowing is affected to that. So, you know, your corporations can issue your 30-year bonds or your 10-year bonds. And so they're borrowing there. But your kind of leverage, your, your leverage in the system is mostly affected by the short-term side of things. And so, I mean, you know, some of that uh, drawdown in the stock market is probably due to people having, not not necessarily having to delever, but delevering because their their borrowing costs are up. Yeah, yeah, it makes, makes sense. So Sam, let me turn it to you and put you on the spot here. So what's a fixed income investor to do at this point in time, right? You talked about the carnage there. Um, are you playing the mean reversion trade? Do you want to play momentum here and continue sticking with those floating rate assets? How are you thinking about the prospects of the fixed income market for the rest of the year? Yeah, yeah. Taking it at at the high level, I think you know, just going back to some of the thematics that we've been discussing here, a lot of it points to some uncertainty. While we know that the Fed is is moving towards being more aggressive, we're uncertain on the path that they're going to take. You know, is it going to be, you know, two or three hikes in in the first half of the year, and then they're going to pause and wait, or is it going to be you know seven just all in just pr- as it's priced in? Since it seems like uh, uh, Paul and the FOMC has that clear runway to to lift off, right? Uh, so while we have that uncertainty, you know, I expect some more volatility to continue at least through the first half of the year. And I think the place to be for fixed income investors, and I think generally speaking, you know, you can you can port this over to the equity market as well as the tilt should be towards quality during this period. Um, overall, and I think I can't remember who mentioned it, it might have been Mayberry and an agreement there that the default risk right now seems somewhat benign, but you have this last two years of very easy accommodative Fed mon- monetary policy that uh, culminates into a tailwind. And with that, you know, 
uh, during that period, I think balance sheets for corporations generally improved. Balance sheets for consumers have improved on, on the margin as well. But that footprint that the Fed has left behind is disappearing a bit more each day. So I think as we enter, as we you know, continue through 2022, you got to think about this tailwind being a reversal where the tailwinds now become a Fed headwind. So with that, whatever benefit these corporations had and, and consumers had from easy financial conditions, the availability of credit uh, in refinancing and the lower cost of capital, um, that's going to be a different environment. Also with Fed tightening, you're going to see ample liquidity um, go away as well. And you're going to see, you know, tighter financial conditions in general. So I think the focus now for, for fixed income investors, um, especially those in credit, and again, I'll bring in equity as well, fundamentals are going to be increasingly important as some of this higher momentum trades that you, you mentioned uh, you know, going through 2021, that's going to likely fade. So look to quality, Take some shelter, you know, while some of the uncertainty around the Fed policy kind of continues to blow through. Um, with that, you know, if we're if we're looking at across different sectors, you know, let's just look at U.S. corporate credit. You know, decent fundamentals there again from a default perspective. They've got uh, strong balance sheets, but there's also weak balance sheets out there. And this is where active selection and identification of of uh, uh, securities becomes paramount. Um, you got to look for these. Uh, the, the companies that have less reliance on debt, for instance, um, many of the, if you look at the IG index, debt coverage ratios have improved uh, as on the index as a whole, but there's going to be some names out there that you definitely want to um, avoid. So you get some reprieve here, you know, companies we were able, many companies were able to refinance into lower mature, into longer maturities at lower rates. Um, so, so there, you know, IG, you know, there's some places that you could, you know, seek some shelter, I guess, from the Fed, uh, uncertainty storm. Um, maybe it's time when you're looking at high yield corporate credit to take back some of the gains that you you know you you, you get some of the gains that you had in 2021. Not so, saying sell all of it, but you know maybe rotate some from you know the high yield up to investment grade corporate credit, or even within IG corporate credit, perhaps you know you rotate it up into a little bit of quality there as well. Um, within corporate credit, if you are going to be taking some risk, you know, floating rates still to me seems a little bit more, a little bit attractive, you know, given, you know, potential for further short end rate moves. Um, similarly, with structured products, you know, you have a lower duration profile generally there. So um, with that, you get relatively attractive yields with less rate risk compared to corporate credit. So I still think the structured products mean the securitized space as well as CLOs, um, that looks somewhat attra relatively attractive there. The fundamentals also look positive when you take a look at it from, I guess we call it the consumer side of things, you know, relative to the corporates as you look at commercial real estate, uh, asset-backed securities and, and residential mortgage-backed securities that aren't guaranteed by the government. But again, security selection and thinking about the role that these securities play within your overall portfolio is going to be critical. Yeah, and then you, we talk about it here first. It's the bond pickers market, right? We always hear about <laughs> the stock pickers market. So bond pickers market, according to Sam Lau. Well, I think, <laughs> so, you know, Sam, also, you know, you're looking at the investment grade corporate credit index and it's almost a, it's like a 280 yield where, you know, we were talking last year, it was like a two, it was below two. Yeah. Uh, or in, in you know, late 2020, it was below two. So it's a pretty sizable, certainly, you know, as, as we like to know, it's a lot of it's the treasury curve. Uh, but certainly, you know, you're actually getting some halfway decent yield there now. High yield, while, you know, it is risky, you can, you're, you're, the index is, is above a 5% yield all in. So, you know, we, we can still call it, we can call it high yield again, maybe. If I, I don't know, five, is that is that a high yield? I guess in this world it is. Uh, but when it was like a, a four or, or a three handle, we're like, you can't call it high yield anymore. Um, you know, it certainly is, is the possibility of going to, to uh, double digit yields again relatively quickly, but at least, you know, over the time, over the short term where we're not really worried as much about a kind of a recession, you, you know, a five, a five carry is not, uh, not too bad. Yeah. 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 What was it? Uh, Robert Cohen, the, you know, the head of uh, the U S corporate team over there was just saying that, uh, you know, that uh, spreads on IG corporates are at 12 month or, or a little bit longer wide as well. So, you know, definitely some, some things that you can pick up there. I think, well, what yeah, about too. this? Let, let me throw something at you too. Instead of just picking one or the other, why not do all of it? You know, how about, how about another way of doing it to balance it out and improve credit quality is we'll take 
a smattering of Sam's, you know, investment grade, let's say like 60, 70% of our corporate exposure will be there. Let's take 20% in loans, right? Cause this is, and so the fed put Mayberry, they have a fed call option on them, right? The fed's <laughs> hiking, right? The coupons are going to go up. Although the market knows that. So you have that to manage your duration down. And then a smattering of that kind of middle tier of the residual and high yield bonds. I think that gives you a significantly diverse kind of corporate credit profile out there. And you're really kind of picking best of markets and we rely on Sam and his expertise to pick the right bonds that are going to get us through the cycle. Absolutely. Sounds like a winning formula, Sherman. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's well, put it into play. Well, I know the, I know that's something that we're Sam doing right now. Except for me yeah. picking, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I know <laughs> that's something. I've got a guy for that. Sorry. Yeah, I've got a guy for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and by a guy, we have about forty people that are <laughs> yeah. doing that right now. So um, that way, we can sit here and and have our banter across the desk. So um, people have been asking me that. Uh, this is a question I've got from a few clients and uh, a few kind of like media types. Was that the Barclays Ag had a negative year, or the Lehman Ag, as you call it, uh, guys. Uh, Sam um, has its first negative. It had a first negative year in a while, and historically, it's never had back-to-back negative years. So obviously, we're out of the shoot in a, in a bad direction here. But what do you think about the Barclays Ag? Positive, negative, um, you know, flat. What, what are you thinking about, and and why are you thinking that way? Yeah, and I think, you know, it is, you know, it is out of the chute pretty negative and it's going to be hard to kind of make that up unless we get a, a rate rally, a pretty significant rate rally, given the duration's pretty long and the yield's pretty low. The yield's uh, lower than the year-to-date loss already, right? So yeah. you only get 11 months of that carry adjusted, of course. Um, right. So that 11 months doesn't get you enough yield there. So I think that's why you're saying you have to get a rate rally to get us there, right? Right. So, you know, maybe uh, you get a little bit of a rate rally and you break even, you know, Back in uh, 2018, when there wasn't a, it wasn't a negative year for uh, the uh, the Bloomberg Ag, it was up a basis point. Yep. Um, you know, so it's the uh, last year was the fourth fourth negative year ever since 19 ever is in uh, since 1977. Uh, so, but it certainly seems in my like lifetime. They can in say your it. lifetime, yes. Uh, and mo- almost, and you know, I guess it, uh, not not in minor minor Sam's lifetime. Yeah, uh, but um, you know it is it is hard to it is a big hole to dig out of, and so uh, you know it certainly it's going to be a, another hard year. But you know, uh, certainly you know I think that going forward the next eleven months, uh, hopefully we're not extrapolating out the uh, the January move into you know continuing that for the rest of the year. Twenty five percent would be rough, right? <laughs> fixed income market. I think that uh, if the fixed income market's down twenty five percent for the year, I'd hate to see what what equities look like. Right. So that's what I was about to go into. Like it's going to be, it could be bad, but you still want it as a ballast to your equity portfolio or your risk portfolio. Uh, so it's not, uh, you know, it's not going to be down 25% where you can conceivably come up with a scenario where the stock market ends the year down. Maybe, you know, it's going to be a bumpy path, but, you know, could be have a 25% drawdown in the year. Pretty, pretty easy scenario to think of. Yeah. So Sam, when you're thinking about your equity allocations and, and how we're positioning right now, you know, across a global landscape, um, what kind of regional exposure do you like? I mean, the U.S. has been the Tina. You know, there is no alternative. It's been the only game in town. Uh, we've had more fiscal stimulus. We've had a, a big bazooka from the Fed. Uh, do you think that continues? Um, are you looking for other regions like Asia, emerging markets, Europe? What do you like the best? Yeah, I mean, I still think U.S. equities are are going to end the year positive here. I think they're a good. You know, position to have and maintain. Um, but I think relative to what we've seen over the past 10 years since the GFC, I think you're going to see some catch up. You've already started to see a little bit of catch up in the European equity side of things. And I think you're going to see that um, possibly in EM as well. Uh, I think EM could be the sleeper for 2022 uh, based on some of the continued economic recovery that we're seeing there. Uh, one of the things that we're keeping an eye on that I'd like to see is the dollar weaken relative to EM currencies uh, for, for that kind of sleeper potential to happen there. But I think it is beneficial to be patient right now. As I mentioned, I kind of mentioned earlier, the first six months of the year could be very different than the last six months of the year for financial markets as we make our way through, through Fed policy. So I think you can be patient here, wait for some of the macro and rate uncertainty to moderate. Um, but 
if that happens, then EM could be a top performing region in 2022. But I do think the U.S. comes fairly close, though. And I still but I do like uh, Europe as well. So if we're talking about top performers, I'm just going to throw the yo out there. I'm going to say EM, you know, but uh, I think it'll be close. Yeah, you, you jumped on everything but Asia. So it sounds <laughs> like uh, fade Asia and allocate uh, across the three. Bay Bear, what do you think? I mean, I think you look at CAPE ratios and the U.S. is still expensive relative to, to Europe. And so I think, you know, if you're picking between those two, I like Europe over the U.S. Um, you know, maybe time to peel back a little bit of U.S. U.S. exposure and move into Europe or peel back a little bit of your uh, U.S. large cap growth exposure that, that had such a great year last year and move into Europe. Um, you know, I, I, do, I do echo Sam's sentiment, though, that uh, the EM you know, it's going to be volatile. So maybe, maybe right now it's not the time to, to get in, but it could, it could, you know, it could, should outperform or could outperform for the rest of the year. Um, and, uh, you know, Sam, Sam thinks that the uh, S&P or, or, you know, U.S. stocks will be positive on the year. I think it depends on when the pivot comes. If a pivot comes too late, the Powell pivot, you know, part due comes too late, then uh, maybe, you know, the stocks could be down, you know, could, could have a good January next year. Uh, or if the pivot comes too too early, then they'll, they'll end up positive. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think that the key thing I would say to equity investors, especially those late, heavy in the U.S., is watch real yields. Real yields are what drive multiples, and so it's not nominal yields, and that's what you've seen really transpire. This has been a big real yield move, which has translated to the nominal move over the last six weeks, and that's really what's helped, uh, or not helped, but what has compressed some of that multiple there as well. So Sam, you're talking about the dollar here too, uh, possibly some more short-term strength in the dollar as we think about, you know, the, the repricing of the Fed and the path of interest rates. So, you know, what gives on commodities? You know, historically, commodities tend to be negatively correlated to the dollar. And so that is when the dollar's strong, they don't do as well. And when the dollar's weak, they tend to do much better, X like gold, let's say. Um, so we know gold's not really a commodity. So as you think about that, where does this put you in the commodity camp? You know, we've all been pretty bullish on the commodity complex. Um, we've got oil here hovering the high 80s right now. And TI, I think Brent got close to it hit 90 last week. Um, wh what are you thinking about on the commodity complex as a whole and specifically in the energy side of the equation? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll go back to what you mentioned first. It's like the, the dollar has seen some strength. Uh, and during that same period of time, commodities have also been strong, which kind of defies that uh, negative correlation that we traditionally have seen over time between uh, the dollar and, and uh, commodity strength. But I think what has begun in 2020 and then came through 2021 and will continue in the 2022 is the supply demand imbalance. And I think that really is the setup that we've seen for the strength that we've had in commodities and in this resurgence here for commodities. And really what you have is the same structural bullish theme that we had going into 2021. And that's one of low investment in production capabilities, both current and future. And that's paired on the back of this recovering demand. And I think demand is, is still recovering. I mean, we've seen uh, restrictions related to transportation and mobility as a whole. Um, so with energy, as you asked specifically, energy is, in, in terms of crude oil, transportation accounts for about two-thirds of, of crude oil consumption. So once, and when, when we eventually get to that point where some of these restrictions on mobility improve, it, continue to improve and are lifted, then you should see a resurgence in demand there as well. Um, the other thing that we've noticed noted in the past is this global endeavor, this global effort to achieve net neutrality on carbon emissions. You know, people often point back to the early 2000s uh, through the global financial crisis that the driver of the commodity bull market during that period, that decade, uh, the super cycle as some call it, came from one country and that's China. And that, and that uh, driver of demand may no longer be there, at least to the, to the same footprint that it had back in that first decade. I like to say now, instead of having that one country, you have a global coalition that in aggregate is looking to spend around four and a half to five trillion annually uh, in order to get to carbon neutrality by 2050. That's around that level per annum to get there. So you have a cohort uh, of developed market and emerging market countries that have 
uh, endeavor together to get and reach that goal. So that in itself is going to be commodity intensive to in, in order to, to rebuild that infrastructure to go from uh, an energy infrastructure that is dependent on fossil fuels to one that's dependent more on sustainable energy. So I think you know commodities are going to be that global asset that's going to benefit from that move. What, so I am positive on. It sounds like you're kind of pulled yeah. up there. You know, <laughs> first of all, I'm, I'm thinking where does that four to five trillion come from? Huh? Maybe that's Mayberry's idea of unwinding the balance sheet. Problem is, the balance sheet <laughs> is a liability too. So it's not just the asset, right? So. Yeah. So I mean, not to be overly bullish, there's obviously risk in that, and some of the risk is what you mentioned. We're at around eighty-eight dollar price on WTI crude oil, and as as WTI, I'm going to say as, as WTI crude oil continues to increase in price, you're going to see more producers that have shied away from overproducing step out of the woodwork. You're going to, you're, you're going to see production increase there. We've already heard it from a few of the oil majors saying that they're going to up production uh, you know, as, as we get, especially get closer to $100 a barrel on WTI crude oil. So you have that saying that rings true where the the risk of high or the the cure for high prices is uh high prices i mean we kind of saw that in the second half of last year when the cost of energy was soaring um uh, particularly in china and europe and you saw metal processors industrial metals processors of industrial metals shut down factories due to the high energy costs but then what happened you saw the prices of industrial metals uh uh sky or not skyrocket but they they increased you know pretty strongly and at the same time, you had energy prices continue to climb. But I am a little bit, you know, keeping an eye on that, uh, the price of WTI crude oil, seeing what that means for, for oil production here in the U.S., seeing what that means uh, in terms of potential production run up from the Saudis uh, to kind of curtail some of that price move. And I say the Saudis because, you know, we're, we've been looking and hearing uh, the term spare capacity come up when we're talking about OPEC plus and that spare capacity dwindling there where a number of the, the, uh, the non-Saudi OPEC plus members not being able to meet their, their quotas in terms of the, the production raises. So I'm pointing out to Saudi specifically, but there are other countries out there that could ramp up production in a meaningful order. So um, you tell me the cure for high prices is high prices. This morning on my way into the office, I paid $5.28 per gallon of petrol. You got to have a lot of snaps on the petrol to get that done these days. And so, uh, unfortunately, I, I don't see that curtailing uh, in the near term. And, you know, um, if, for those of you that don't live in California with uh, our uh, excess taxes that you see on some of that, that may be a, a lot of sticker shock. I know I'm always amazed when I go to Texas and see it trades with a two handle at the pump and they complain about how expensive it is. So, yeah, well, I was also going to point out that, you know, as Sam kind of hit into that or mentioned that, you know, commodities aren't just, uh, isn't just oil or energy and gold, you know, there is the industrial metals. Um, there, there are the, you know, even though, you know, it's the kind of bad, bad type of uh, commodity inflation, your ags and your, um, your, your, your grains, your, your ags, the, the food, kind of your food, your food part, part of it. But I think that, uh, you know, it, it's always important to kind of diversify your commodity exposure and, and not to, not just be in oil or, or energy um, and certainly, you know, we, we were talking to, uh, some of our guys yesterday and they're like, you know, do we, do we buy, you know, energy stocks? And it's like, it's up 80% over the past 13 months, you know, you kind of miss that, that window, but certainly there's the opportunity for that to go up, go higher from here. Uh, but, uh, you know, you probably want to diversify into other, other types of commodities, other types of, uh, you know, exposure there, not just, uh, not just your oil and, and gold. Yeah, we'll take a look at what's hitting the, the middle of the country right now. The freeze coming through. We had the nor'easter last week and all of these things do impact crops and production there as well, too. So uh, the food inflation is blamed on the commodity speculators. But at the end of the day, it's it's uh, it's that relationship sham shows of supply and demand. Hopefully I got those the right direction. I don't know if I'm backwards on the camera or not. But um, so let's wrap this up. Maybe real quick. One last question. Um, what is the biggest risk facing markets that you think people aren't talking about? So that means you don't get to say inflation. You don't get to talk about the Fed. What is a big risk out there that you're thinking about that our listeners would benefit from putting that on their radar screen? Um, and, and I guess I'm going to, I'm not going to cheat. I was thinking about cheating for, for a split second there. Uh, but I think, you know, the, the big risk is out there is the, you know, we, we kind of, we, because we're losing the, 
this the monetary stimulus that there's a there's a chance of a recession next year and spreads widen out a lot and the fixed income side your risk markets kind of reprice uh, to that recession risk and uh, you know that's you know certain in certain uh, certain cohorts of people will talk about that recession you know is maybe more likely than I think it is but I think that it's hard to discount the fact that th there's that possibility of recession certainly not a high probability event but it's something that uh, markets given their current valuations certainly aren't pricing in you know maybe a high enough probability of a recession in the latter half of the year. Okay, so Sam, same to you. Now you can't use his answer either. Yeah. So thank you for letting me go first. Yeah. I mean, I would say we're seeing uh, heightened geopolitical risk come up again. Um, the a stronger China definitely on the, the global stage is going to be more of a, a footprint in terms of uh, U.S hegemony, I suppose, you know, what China is doing and able to get away with on the global stage is a little bit concerning. And one of the fears that I have, I suppose, is, you know, you're going to take a somewhat icy relationship between the U.S. and China and turn that hostile, or that becomes hostile, not that you're, you're going to turn it hostile, but it becomes hostile. Uh, I think that's some ways away, but, you know, China's making its way up. You know, so where the U.S. is heading up, down or flat, it's, it's hard to say. But relative to China, I, I think that gap is closing. I think we get you know, certainly because the, the Olympics are, are in China. The Winter Olympics are in China. They uh, I saw curling starts today. So uh, I'll start watching that on, on the one TV of my favorites here. Uh, certainly after the Olympics, then maybe that's the you know, we'll have some with some calm before the potential storm there with the Olympics there in China. So, so yeah. you're saying we have a few weeks? Yes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. curling. Let's watch curling for a few weeks. Get relaxed and. Uh... Yeah, I thought I thought Sam's favorite sport was World Cup because it's on like every day, and so he always thinks it's the World Cup. So I thought that was it. But uh, Sam, uh, I'll, I'll I'll watch some curling with you. Um, too bad we're not on the trading desk together today, uh, or we'd we'd fire it up to be able to watch it. So. Um, all right, Mr. Mayberry, thanks for coming in and spending the time with us, uh, talking markets, getting us through, you know, what we see is kind of being a choppy first quarter, um, buckle up, you know, we haven't seen anything yet when it comes to Fed policy. Let's see how uh, Jay tries to thread the needle. I wish him a lot of luck and success because there's nothing like, you know, $100 trillion riding on it. So uh, good luck out there, Jay, no pressure. But before you go, uh, we need to introduce you to Sam's favorite part of the show. You're an expert by now, but Sam, why don't you lay out the ground rules uh, for Mr. Mayberry? All right, Mr. Mayberry, my favorite part of the show, except for times like these when you're on the show, because I have to answer them as well. <laughs> but uh, my favorite part of the show is called Sherman Says. And it's where Mr. Kimbrough, our guest, uh, our second guest podcaster for, for these rounds, uh, will offer a series of prompts alternating between, or amongst, I suppose, I should say, since there's the three of us, you, Mr. Sherman, and myself, uh, to which he hopes to elicit a top of mind response, uh, a concise top of mind response, let's say. And uh, from there, we're going to give our little verbal roar sharks and uh, see how things go. So Mr. Kimbrough. Yeah, do but I, I don't think it's amongst. We're not British. I think it's among. Um, you know, and I, th I think you used myself incorrectly, which you know is one of my pet peeves. So, um, anyway, <laughs> at, least you did, at least you didn't say et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that, that's worse. You're right. So, it should have been to me. Yep. There you go. <laughs> um, anyway, that, that one always sticks out. So, Mr. Kimbrough, I mistakenly called you a doctor, but Mr. Kimbrough, kick us off. Thank, thank you very much. <clears throat> uh, well, you know what, Mr. Chairman, let's start off with bargaining power of labor. Strong. Strongest in decades. Uh, let's go to Mayberry with geopolitical risk. Uh, I mean, rising, according to Sam Lau. Not for the next two weeks or so. <laughs> uh, to Mr. Lau, we have saying goodbye to Zerp again. Um, hello again, soon. Uh, let's go with COVID economic speed bumps. Hopefully behind us, but um, you know who who knows. Uh, B two variant of um, I don't even know how to keep up with this stuff anymore. So hoping it's getting past. I mean, I saw our governor and our mayor out there wearing no mask at the NFC Championship. So 
hopefully if that policy is good enough for them, it's good enough for the rest of us. All right. Uh, let's go with market cap of crypto. Ooh. Uh, you know, given the given the recent drawdown, I would say it's it's going to get get larger. But uh, you know, it, it you know Sam and I always like to talk about it's a good risk barometer. So maybe that doesn't bode very or that, that bodes well for the kind of risk assets. All right. Well, somewhat related, we have uh, market corrections. We were just shy of one in the S and P five hundred on the year to date base. Sorry for. Uh, from the prior peak, I think we got to nine, down 9.8. So I say, uh, stay tuned, more to come, right. or yet to come. Uh, next up we have, let's go with leverage. Double-edged sword. Uh, back to Mr. Mayberry, we're gonna go with autopilot. Good on an airplane. All works. Uh, next not, up, not, not necessarily a Tesla. Not necessarily. A Tesla. <laughs> Leave it open ended there. There's so many directions. Yeah, yeah I, I think I said that when Jay said that. I, I went on TV after the press conference that day back in December of eighteen. And I'm like, I just hope it's an airplane and not a Tesla of the <laughs> autopilot. You know. Uh, next up, we got corporate earnings. Hmm. I don't know why I'm pausing so long. I have it on the tip of my tongue, but I can't get it out. Uh, look for those uh, that can pass on costs. Yeah. That was very still. He's big. talking about <laughs> companies that have pricing power. Is oh, the phrase yeah. he's looking for? Yeah. <laughs> I speak loud at times. It's funny. He's all bold up on corporate credit, and he's like, "I don't know. What do we do about earnings?" Uh, <laughs> and he wants, I think earnings like, will be strong. It's just the multiple may compress a little bit. So I think that's the battle you're going to have this year. And he was saying, "Look at the fundamentals, right?" He, that's what his uh, his case was. Yeah, it was on the tip of his tongue. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you there. Uh, next up, let's have fun with Wordle. Is that mine? Uh, yes, that is yours. Uh, I started a week ago. Um, I've been able to do it every day so far. I need to try it today. I haven't done today, so we'll see. Turn on uh, hard mode. Turn on hard I'm mode. not going to hard mode, dude. I've, I like victories, you know? <laughs> trying to take the W while I can. So took the L this week with the Niners. I'm trying to get Ws where I can. I believe happy Wordle again today. Uh, next up, let's go with uh, Winter Olympics. I mean, curling. Let's. I got, I got to turn it on as soon as we're done recording. I'm turning the TV on and watch some curling. Enjoy the curling. Hmm. Uh, Chinese New Year. I don't know why I'm pausing so long. All these. A happy, happy time, happy week of the year. Good week of the year. Uh, last round here. We're going to go with the goat. Hmm. Enjoy retirement, you know. He he did retire, and um, you know, enjoy it. TB twelve, uh, you deserve it. And um, on a similar thread, we're gonna go L.A. Rams. I thought they were gonna lose uh, to the Niners this past weekend, so uh, you know, I think that it's a uh, it's good for L.A. You know, have the have the Super Bowl in the home stadium. I guess the Super Bowl. Although the fans won't show up, it's LA. Um, but the other thing is, when you said goat and then going to Rams, I thought you were going to say that the Bengals are the hero, right? The hero and the goat. So oh, go oh, Joe Burrow. Go Burrow. <laughs> and last up, we're going to go uh, nicknames. You're talking for me? That one's for you. Last up. Uh, William Kwong Tran. We have uh, a new hire this week, so I think that's why Kimbrough has the nicknames yeah. on the mind. We're trying to bring him into the fray. And so if anybody knows our new hire on our team and has any suggestions, please reach out to us, shermanshow at doubleline.com. Uh, you can hit us up on the Twitter as well. We have at shermanshowpod. If you want to make your uh, recommendation public, you want to keep it private, shermanshow at doubleline.com. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Hopefully we have a great year of podcasts for you. Sam and I are going to be working hard uh, to try to get some good guests out there. Nothing better than kicking off the year with Mr. Mayberry. So thanks, Jeff, for taking the time with us. You should also catch their podcast, Monday Morning Minutes, drops after the bell on every Friday. So you can have it for the open uh, on Monday morning. A lot of great information, a lot of great macro. They do a great job. Like I said, they just uh, record their 50th episode. So 
Uh, I think they did in one year what it took Sam and I like four years to do. So um, pretty soon we're going to hand off to them. I'll be retiring. Uh, but in the interim, we're going to line up some new guests uh, in the interim. So take care, everybody. Uh, if you have any recommendations for guests too, hit us up, ShermanShow at DoubleLine.com or on the Twitter at ShermanShowPod. And your guys' handle for the Twitter on the Monday Morning Minutes? Sam says it every week. At D-Line Minutes. At D-Line Minutes. Okay, perfect. Uh, you just tongue-tied today, Sam. The Sherman Show gets you every time. All right, thanks, everyone. Take care. We'll be hollering at you soon. Got a webcast next week. You can tune in to see us on there as well. Take care and good luck out there. Uh, stay, stay safe and stay healthy. Take care now. Bye-bye. The audio presentation represents Double Line's intellectual property. No portion of this presentation may be published, reproduced, transmitted, or rebroadcast in any media in any form without the express written permission of Double Line. Double Line has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. To receive permission from Double Line, please contact media at doubleline.com. Neither Double Line nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast. Liability, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. DoubleLine is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice in this podcast. The receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by any double-line entity or individual to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any double-line entity. The portfolio risk management process includes an effort to monitor and manage risk, but does not imply low risk.